about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. My name is Guan, I'm from Merca, and you can see the first Bible reading is from Leviticus 19, verse 10, on page 116 of the Church Bibles starting from part C in the verse where it starts, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbour or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or... Put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbour frankly so you'll not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The next reading is taken from John. And I'll just be reading two small sections. One from John 13, verses 31 to 35 which is on page 1067. And then if you can have your finger in John 17, verses 20 to 23, which is on page 1071. So starting with John 13, verse 31 to 35. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of gathering here together. We thank you for your grace towards us. 
And we pray that as we come to your word, we would understand it, that you would change our lives and that we would be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week I've been doing some reading and I discovered a principle that the 4th century um, theologian Augustine had, which suggested that societies consist of those who are united by agreeing to share what they love. Or to put it another way, societies gather around what matters to them. All are united in agreeing to share in what they love. And so people have looked at uh, various societies and thought, well, what, what have they gathered around? What have they actually loved? What are they prepared to die for? And there's some suggestion that the ancient Greeks died for order. They loved order. They gathered around order. There's some suggestion that medieval Europe uh, died for honour. They gathered around honour. Earliest 20th century, it's suggested that people gathered around the sense of duty. I wonder what our society gathers around. What is it that we love? What is it that we would die on a hill for? What is it that we're passionate about? Now, actually, it's pretty difficult to tell. Andrew Cameron, in his book on the triune church and uh, thinking about this issue, suggests that perhaps what we're willing to die for is self-fulfillment. Self-fulfillment. Now, I think, I think that's probably right. I think there's something in that. There's several ways to look at that, of course. I frequently hear parents say to their children, do whatever makes you happy. It's a kind of mantra. Oh, as long as they're doing whatever makes them happy. It's that kind of self-fulfillment. Whatever makes you feel like you're fulfilled. Sometimes I think it's in that word that we use um, with each other that sounds casual, but I'm not quite sure whether it is. It's that term, whatever. It's kind of whatever you want to do. It's not speaking about yourself. It's speaking about, like, you get on with what you want to do, whatever. I don't actually have to be committed to this particularly. Whatever. I'm on my own way to self-ambition. Now, it may not be that, but it occurs to me there's a, there's a link there. It was also interesting reading Clive uh, Hamilton's Freedom Paradox. And he talks about what he sees as a bad thing in our society, and he, he describes it this way. The objective of society and for government should not be to set or endorse goals, but to promote as much individual freedom as feasible and allow individuals to determine their own goals. He's suggesting that that's our society, that governments should not be interfering, but they should be allowing as much freedom for people to set their own goals. In other words, to enable self-fulfillment. Now, perhaps that's what our society is gathered around. There's something attractive about it, isn't there? There's attractiveness about that idea of self-fulfillment, the freedom from tyranny of others, the idea that I can go on and become who I really am somehow in what I do and what I say. There's something quite attractive about that. But actually, it's a pretty thin description of a society. What about those whose self-fulfillment we don't care about as much? 
we're like, less likely to uphold. The asylum seeker, the unwanted unborn, people with disability, the elderly, elderly in some cases. It kind of, we kind of leave them behind in this desire for self-fulfilment. It seems rather a thin object of common love, this idea of self-fulfilment. It's actually not much of a hill to die on. In the end, it's bereft of anything really rich and meaningful. Well, what might Jesus have to say into this situation? How would Jesus reply to this promotion of self-fulfilment? How would we as Christians respond in a world that is desiring this idea of self-fulfillment? Well, let's turn, with, uh, let's turn to John chapter 17. You might like to open that passage there. Jesus is praying a prayer. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. He's just about to be crucified. He's saying things that are important to him. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for his believers in the future. And we're going to pick the prayer up in John chapter 17 at verse 20. He's just prayed for his disciples. Now he's going to pray for this. My father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Uh, earlier on in John, we've learnt that those who believe in Jesus, he gives them the right to become the children of God. Read that in chapter 1. So in effect, what Jesus is doing here is praying for his future family. He's praying for his future family. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. There's two things we can say about that. First of all, it's, it's fantastic that the message is that effective. You notice that he's praying for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus is saying his word will continue to go out and it will be continue to be effective because people will actually believe. So if you ever doubt that God's word is going to be effective, don't. Jesus said it's going to be effective. He's praying for it. He's expecting people to be joining his family. That's what's going to happen. Jesus is fully confident of what's going to happen in the future. People will be joining his family. He's praying for those who will believe in me through their message. And isn't this beautiful that Jesus would pray for his future family? I've been very fortunate. I've had people pray for me all my life. I, I know that my grandmother, who I never met, actually prayed for me. I'm told she was praying for me in utero. I know that my dad and mum pray for me almost every single day. My dad's in one of those situations where he doesn't remember things quite as well as he used to. But I know that at 6 or 6.30 every single morning, he gets up and reads his Bible, and next to his Bible is a little pad with my name on it. Now, that's very moving. I know my mum's also praying for her great-great-grandchildren, but that's kind of something else. But it's quite moving to be prayed for someone by, for, by someone. To be prayed for by someone in your family. Now, I want to challenge you and say this is a really good thing to do. 
find people to pray for and just pray for them all their lives. And at some stage, just tell them. Because it's a beautiful thing to have someone pray for you like that. Jesus here is saying, I'm actually praying for my future family. In effect, he's saying, I'm praying for you. If you believe, if you're a child of God, I'm praying for you. Now, I think that's an extremely moving moment. So the question becomes, as Jesus looks into the future, as he sees all the history unfold, as he sees everything that takes place, what is it that he wants for his family? What is it that he wants for this new world? Well, look at what he says. We're going to look at what he says, and we're going to look at Jesus' vision, Jesus' practice of, of this vision, or the practice of this vision, and the impact of this vision. Back to John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them will be one, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be one with us. Well, that's fairly complicated language, and I think the next bit of this sermon is a, a bit heavy going, but let's, let's go with it and see what Jesus is actually referring to. Is he ref what kind of oneness is he referring to? He says, let them all be one. Is he suggesting that somehow we should all get dressed in onesies, all the same colour and run around being one? Or perhaps have the same uniform on and go door knocking everywhere? I don't know. You know, is that what he's suggesting here? No, he actually explains what he means by this oneness. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Well, that sort of kind of makes it actually more confusing, doesn't it? What does he mean by this oneness? Well, it's interesting to see how this is referred to throughout John, this idea of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. In fact, we're talking here about the Trinity. In John chapter 13, we read, verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Once again, you see this deep interrelationship between the Father and the Son. In John chapter 14, verse 10, we read, the Father is actually in the Son so much that we can be told that it is the Father who is performing the Son's works. Listen to this, 14, verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then, as we come to this prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1, we read these words. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Now what's evident here is that the Father and the Son are distinguishable. Jesus is praying to the Father. And yet, they are one. Now I understand this is complicated. The Athanasius Creed puts it like this. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. 
For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Now, I told you it was going to be a bit tough going, but it's trying to describe something that is magnificent and mysterious and at the same time very important to understanding what God's vision is for this world. How might we put this more, more simply? Well, Michael Hill, I think, has been helpful in this particular area, and this is the way he puts it. Each person of the Trinity commits themselves utterly to achieving the plans and the purposes of the others. Even though the persons of the Trinity have different roles, the community of the Godhead is one in heart and mind. Therefore, I think what we say is, the persons of the Trinity are for one another, are attuned to one another, are deeply in love with one another. In fact, John sums it up, God is love. God is love. Now the point of Jesus speaking this way is to give us a vision of the kind of society and community he has intended. It's a kind of pattern which we do understand. Because Jesus then goes on to talk about the practice of this vision in these words. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us. It's extraordinary that somehow in the midst of this we are swept up into the Trinity. It's just that we are, they, they are in us. That's how God wants to draw near to us. It's, it's a profound moment as Jesus prays for his future family. And so likewise, as we think about the practice of this in, in community and in life, yes, we as believers are distinct from one another. We have different roles, but we have the same purpose in love. And we are to love one another. We are to be for each other. We are to be attuned to each other. We are to love one another. We are to be swept up in what God is doing in himself. And so that's why we heard in, in John chapter 13 these words, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now you'll notice in the laws that we read from Leviticus, they were all about ways of loving one another, ways of considering another, of being attuned to another, of being thoughtful by another. God has designed us, this is reminding us, to be other person-centred, to be attuned to other people. Now, over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to read lots of articles on neuroscience and infants. You can ask me why later. But I have. And one of the profound things is that neuroscientists are discovering that infants' minds in particular, infants' brains in particular, 
are very plastic. They're hardwired to attune themselves to their carer. And so as the carer interacts with the child, something actually physically is happening in the brain. And the, child of, uh, the brain of the child is changing, of the infant is changing. And it has a huge impact on how that child grows up and what that child thinks. Now, it's not saying that everything's set there and you can't do anything about things later. But there is this very important time of attunement to another. It's the way God has built us. Now, I've got to say, our government's been pretty good in this department. They've put lots and lots of money into supporting those who are trying to support infants and their mothers and fathers in getting this attunement right. Because they know how much, how important that is. But isn't that just amazing? That as the neuroscientists examine things, they start to discover God's amazing design. The way God set things up, it's, it's just beautiful. Of course, the question is, how does that live out here with us as Christians? And the Bible continues to talk about lots of one another moments. I'll get back to this in a minute, but I just want to show you a couple of them and then come back to it a little bit later. In 1 Peter 4, we read things like, as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God gives you gifts, serve one another. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Now, I guess we could take that literally, but just think for a moment what that means. That means getting close to someone. That means washing their feet, which are dirty. And, and you'll need to wash your hands afterwards. It's messy. It's not pleasant. There's a sacrifice involved. Be hospitable to one another without, being, without complaint. Now, actually, I see this happening a lot in our church, and it's just really delightful to see that happening in different ways in different places. And Roger Fitz and Leah, as some of you will know, Leah's been in hospital this week, and it's just been marvellous to see the way people have responded to their needs this week. There's a genuine caring for one another going on there, and it's just delightful. It's the way we're meant to be. There are other one another statements, like greet one another with a kiss, uh, maybe we won't be practicing that after the service, but the notion is there about having peace with one another, about greeting one another really and personally, not just the, the flippant hi. It's, it's, I'm going to engage you. I'm going to see you first, not me. There's some beautiful statements without, throughout the scriptures that continue to remind us what it means for us to be in tuned with other people. Well, that's the kind of vision Jesus is painting for us, a very different vision from self-fulfillment. In fact, one that will require sacrifice of some of our things that we wish to be fulfilled in the service of others. But Jesus is saying, this is the way you've been designed. This is the way the world's been designed. This is the best thing to do. 
It's interesting then what Jesus goes on to say in, in light of all these, these things. He talks about the impact of this vision. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may be one with the Father. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now the sense of believe there is not just, oh, Jesus exists. It's entrust themselves to Jesus. Entrust themselves. Believe, become children of God. Now, it's saying that if we live this out as Christians together, if we live this way in relationship to one another, if we spend the time developing our one anotherness, others will start to come and be part of God's kingdom, be children of God as we gather together. Now, I guess in some ways as we think about all of this, it's actually not unlike our vision for our church. We're looking for whole communities. You could say communities that are united, communities that are one. We want them to be captivated by Jesus Christ because we know that as we're captivated, as we're drawn up into the Trinity, we become who God has called us to be. And we're called to live out his freedom, actually, to live in love. Live his love out, his freedom out, not ours. And so that's what we're going to be as a church. We're, we're a church where we want to be whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Okay, I said I'd come back to some things later. How are we going to continue to progress this in our lives together? Well, obviously, we need lots of prayer and we need us to be praying for one another. But what I want to suggest to you is we're going to hand out a little brochure now um, that looks like this. In that brochure are a number of one another statements. What I'm going to ask you to do is for five days of the next two weeks, so the weekdays of the next two weeks, to meditate on and pray about one of these one another statements. And as you meditate on this one another statement and as you pray this one another statement, think of how you can be that one another to someone else in our church and how that might shape the interactions with your, with your colleagues in your workplace and elsewhere. Does that make sense? Think about how you can be that one another to someone else in our church and think about how that might shape your interactions with those outside our church. Now, to help you along, what we're planning to do is this. I'm happy to send you a text every day with the one another statement in it. I know it's hard to remember these things and I know handing out this piece of paper doesn't guarantee you'll do it. I guess sending you a text might not guarantee that either, but it might just make that a little bit easier. So if you would like to receive a text for the next two weeks on each weekday, please let me know. You can see at the bottom of the sheet, you can use the QR code, which will just take you to a little form with your name and you just put your phone number in. That's the easiest way, or you go to our website and just put your name. That would be the easiest way for me. But if you can't do that, and you're not able to do that even now, feel free to fill in a communication card 
and let us know your name and your number and we'll make sure you get a text. Or otherwise, send me an email or I've actually put my mobile phone number on there too and you can send me. There's, you should have no excuse for letting me know that you want to get a text uh, every day for the next two weeks or every weekday for the next two weeks. And let's as a church experiment with what that looks like. Our one anotherness, the way that we go about those things. And then think about it in relation to those we are with outside the church as well. Let me leave you with that challenge as we continue to think about the kind of people we will be. And let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word and we thank you and praise you for the way that you give us a vision of something so totally different to the the world around us. Um, Father, may we be that people. May we be one. May we be the people who love one another in such a way that people are led to believe in you and praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.